Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 87. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Do you love vintage cars? Then go to CarsYeah.com and get a free copy of the fantastic Filler Up book. It's a full-color ebook filled with fuel filler fun with over 60 color photographs of vintage cars plus inspirational quotes from some of the most famous automotive enthusiasts of all time. Simply go to CarsYeah.com, click on the free book button on the homepage, and download your Filler Up book today. It's free at CarsYeah.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I'm very excited to introduce a very special guest, Charlie Maher. Charlie, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Mark, I am buckled up and really ready for a very fun ride. (laughs) All right. It is great to have you here. Charles Joseph Maher began his automotive journey at the wheel of his family cars, a 1955 Chevy Bel Air followed by a Chrysler 300. He attended the University of Notre Dame and received a bachelor's degree in fine art in 1968. Charlie's been an independent artist since 1988 after working as a designer for the Ford Motor Company. After his time with Ford, he worked 14 years with a graphics firm in Detroit designing production car graphics for Ford, GM, Honda, Toyota, as well as other really interesting projects such as the pace car graphics for the Indianapolis and the Long Beach Grand Prix. His work has been displayed at numerous Concours events, including Pebble Beach and Amelia Island, and on the pages of many automotive magazines, including Auto Week, Automobile, Car Collector, Mustang Monthly, Road and Track, Automobile Quarterly, and Sports Car Market. And Charlie is a member of the Automotive Fine Art Society. So Charlie, I've told our listeners a little bit about you. Would you take some time and share some more about your history, your career, your interest, and of course your passion for automobiles? Sure, Mark. I'd be happy to. Um, when I grew up in um, in South Florida, I grew up in the Miami area. My dad was was a bit of a car enthusiast, nothing off the charts, but he uh, he always liked Chrysler products. So he would bring home uh, a series of Windsors, Newports, and uh, when I got old enough to drive, he started uh, buying a couple of 300s. And I, uh, I'm not sure what I owed him in transmission band re- rework, <laughs> but those, those old 300s, if you remember, they, they had the push-button drive. And uh, I'd get out with my friends and, and just uh, take that up to two or three grand and hit D. Uh-oh. And just <laughs> rip the tires right off almost. Um, uh, I'm I'm not sure how much he knew what I was doing on that, but uh, I can remember him having to take take the car in to have the bands tightened every now and then on the transmission. <laughs> so, so um, I don't know what that tells you about me, but I've got a bit of a an abusive personality when it comes to cars. Sometimes a heavy right foot. Yeah, when I went off to college, I, I started off curiously enough in pre med. That kind of stuff had come easy to me in high school, but at the college level. I couldn't pass freshman chemistry, and uh, they sent me off to talk to an advisor who was who was kind enough and a, a wonderful enough man to listen to what I thought might interest me. And, and he, uh, after after probing what uh, I could tell him about myself, he sent me off to uh, 
talk to these people in, in the fine art program because what they had there, uh, a little niche in the fine art, was um, industrial design program and uh, specifically transportation. And and so I got an inkling about what that was about, and I, I knew I had to pursue something that was going to get me a job. My my dad was, was kind enough to, to buy me an education, and uh, but he was only going to give me four years' worth, and I had to make the most out of that. So um, I switched majors from freshman to sophomore year and got into fine art, uh, industrial design, and transportation. And um, that that was a big change in my life. Well, you, you know, it's funny about your story. Yesterday I interviewed the artist Tom Fritz, and mm-hmm. I wonder what it is with artists and chemistry. He had the exact same story. He struggled with chemistry in college and changed careers and ended up in the field that he was passionate about, and it sounds like the same thing happened to you. Yeah, it's it's funny. I um, A year ago I met a gentleman who's a graphic designer, and he's he's retired. He's a couple of years older than me. But he had the same chemistry professor at the same school, and he ended up with the same result. <laughs> he, he, too, had to change majors. So, Well, it's wonderful when you have professors and uh, educators that will listen to you and steer you down the right path. And it sounds like you were fortunate in that sense. I got very lucky in that regard. Uh, it got me um, a job interview with uh, GM and Ford uh, before I graduated, and uh, I ended up choosing Ford. And... Uh, headed off to Detroit from, from South Florida with everything I owned in a, a Volkswagen Beetle. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> um, the next time I move now, I have substantially more stuff than will fit in a Beetle, uh, and I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> well, it sounds like you had a lot of fun and got to work in a lot of different areas and projects when you were uh, working at the Ford Motor Company, and then you went on and and did some other things as well, but after you transitioned, I think I said in 1988, when you became an independent artist, what what caused you to make that move in your life? Well, um, the job that I had disappeared. I worked uh, 14 years for a company that um, was involved in graphics, and some of which was automotive, and they did OEM and aftermarket graphics. Um, so I would... Um, present product to Toyota and Nissan, Honda, uh, GM, Chrysler, and stuff. And, and these were basically tape stripes that would go on, on uh, the vehicles, uh, some, some OEM, some aftermarket. Um, but around that 88 period, the, the company changed ownership, and they changed direction and decided to get away from the automotive products and, and focus more on commercial fleet, which would be uh, 40-foot semi-trailers with grocery store logos on the side and mm. you know stuff like that so um one friday morning they said thanks for being here for 14 years today's your last day oh goodness well yeah the the interesting thing about this story and one of the things that we like to talk about here on cars yeah is entrepreneurship and sometimes getting kicked out of the nest in a very harsh manner as you were there um can turn into great things so tell us how you you left that day, I'm sure, devastated in some respects, but in another way, at some point, you found your path towards being a fine artist. I did. I was um, I, I was pretty shook up about that, and uh, I've been married for almost 40 years, and, and when I got home, uh, I told my wife, I, I had probably called her and, and let her know, and she came home early to, to meet me at the house, 
and I'm, you know, down in the mouth, down in the dumps. And she goes, this is great. Now you can pursue what you've wanted to do for a long time, which was paint and, and show that stuff. So I've had nothing but support from her. And uh, I, quite frankly, Mark, I, I couldn't have done it without uh, her, her being there to, to help me in all well, what all, a all manners. what a wonderful story. You know, and Tom yesterday said the same thing about his wife, Molly, and uh, I reminded him, uh, I'm in the same position here with my wife, Jill. We've just celebrated 30 years. So having that support and someone who can help you see that change in life from a whole different lens and different perspective is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. It's great. Well, I'm so happy that you found a new path and you've gone down it because I'll remind our, our guests, we'll be posting links to Charlie's website. You can go and see the work that he does. It's absolutely wonderful. And I think as car fanatics, as the car list, cars, yeah, listeners are, you'll really, really enjoy it. Charlie, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote. And this is a saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success it's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Charlie, take the wheel. Well, I've, I, I can think of a lot of quotes, but I, I had one from a friend who was in sales when I first started on this venture of uh, showing my artwork. And, and what he told me was, don't leave your light under a bushel basket. And by that, he, he had some insight into my character. I was... I was not outgoing. I was uh, a bit shy and a bit reluctant to show stuff. And he told me, you're never going to get the attention you want and, unless you, you put this out in front of people. And I've got one, uh, one little story that, that might help uh, give you a little insight in, into how I felt in the beginning about, about my artwork. The oh, very great. first show that I, uh, I did, it was uh, a Shelby National Convention uh, held, held here in Michigan at, at Domino's Farms. But I, uh, I, I found out who, who put on uh, the art show because they, they had some artists uh, there in addition to the cars. And I got myself invited. So um, I borrowed a, a friend's minivan and, and put some, some work in there and went out. And uh, somebody that was putting on the show had some display panels that they loaned to me. And when I got there, I found out that I was going to be placed in between Bill Neal and George Bartell. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and Bill Neal... Um, uh, a lot of people are, are familiar with his work, which is significant. Same thing with George Bartel. He did a lot of the promotional and advertising art for Shelby back back in the day. Yeah, and Bill has has been a guest on Cars. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know that was my first experience. I'm, so I'm in between these two guys, and I didn't know whether to think I had died and gone to heaven or be terrified. <laughs> and I, I chose the terrified because my wife reminds me when I started taking stuff out of the truck and bringing it into the tent, I stack everything up against these panels face in so nobody could see it right away. Mm. <laughs> you know, it was like, oh boy, I'm, uh, yeah. am I doing the right thing or not? Well, you know, eventually it got hung. I, I got to meet these guys. They couldn't have been nicer. Uh, Bill Neal was extremely encouraging. And uh, I even sold a piece at that show. So, you know, I, I got over my initial sense of stage fright a little bit. But, you know, that, that quote about, uh, you know, don't, don't hide your stuff, uh, that, that's been helpful for me. I've, I've, uh, 
I, I realized uh, after a while that I'm going to have to focus on learning things like marketing and self-promotion and, and some other things if I want to make a go at this because I know I can paint the stuff, but I'm not sure if I can sell it. And that's a whole different thing, and um, I'm going to have to learn it if, if I want to survive. So, so I've been working on that, um, you know, in the last 20, 26, 27 years. I've, <laughs> I've probably learned more about marketing than I have uh, uh, augmented my, uh, my painting knowledge. Oh, well, it's a great story, and it's a wonderful. You had a friend that, that used that quote as a, a push for you to uh, make sure next time you take those paintings out, you leave them face up so people can see them. And Bill is a wonderful guy. He's just one of the nicest people that you can come absolutely. across. He, he's a real gentleman. He I, is. Uh, he is, absolutely. And he, I believe he holds the the uh, role of the eldest person on cars. Yeah, my youngest was a 16-year-old race car driver. And I believe Bill, when we did his show, was 90, 91 years old. So uh, got quite a spectrum going on there. That's a great story and a great success quote for people to remember. Take that light out from under that bushel basket. I like that. Thank you. Could you share a story with us, Charlie, that instigated your passion for cars? Tell us that pivotal moment in your life when you really knew you were a car guy. Well, for me, it, it, it didn't happen early. A lot of my peers, they, they were into cars from the time they were kids, and, and I could appreciate them. I can remember my dad uh, down in South Florida used to take me to the drag races every every once in a while. And um, I, I thought that was just awesome with those old fuelies and stuff. And, um, you know, you could feel the, the, the sound just kind of going halfway through your chest when you were out there. But as, as I, um, I told you earlier to, to start out the interview, um, you know, a lot of stuff changed for me with that um, changing of majors in college. That freshman chemistry class uh, had as much to do with my passion for cars as, as a lot of things because it, it put me on a different pathway. And then once once I got to the path where uh, I realized I think I can get a, a job with Ford or GM as a designer, then it's like, well, maybe you, you might want to look into automobiles on a whole different level, and you know, there's there's a lot of stuff to learn about these things. So, so I did, uh, you know, I, I started getting into them that way by default, if you will. Um, once I got hired by Ford, I made new friends, and I can remember uh, early on. Um, I don't remember if it was the first or second summer that I was there, but uh, they said, "Hey, we're going down to the races down in in mid Ohio," <clears throat> and. Uh, we're going to watch the Trans Am cars run on uh, Saturday and the Can Am on on Sunday. So I, I went with them, and then we'd we'd go to places like Mostport, Elkhart Lake, Watkins Glen, and and make long weekends out of it, and and watch uh, these cars run. And it was just awesome. I mean, that hooked me on road racing. Um, so I, I couldn't wait till the next opportunity. I was going to get off to to see some racing and stuff. That. Uh, that that was part of the journey for me, and it was it was neat being at Ford at the time because the Trans Am team with Parnelli Jones and George Fulmer were doing quite well. Uh, so we had somebody to root for. Um, we found that at the racetrack, if those guys weren't busy, they would actually uh, take a moment to talk to you. And you know that's uh, an era gone by. I think where a lot of the drivers are, are that approachable, but. Uh, you know, it, it just all kept building from that, um, going to different tracks, getting to meet new people in, in racing and stuff. Uh, 
I found it fascinating. Oh, well, you're very fortunate to be around and experience those um, legendary drivers and legendary tracks in the day. Absolutely. That's, uh, that must have been fantastic. So, Charlie, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and, and crawl under the hood and maybe get our hands a little dirty. Would you share with us a huge challenge or even a great failure you faced at some point in your career that, that really pushed you to a breaking point or near one? But more importantly, share with us how you overcame that and what you learned from it. Yeah, this this was a, a good question for me to consider, Mark. Um, I've, I've thought about a couple of things, but, but one that... Um, I think is is interesting on a couple of different levels was when I got the opportunity from Pebble Beach uh, to do the Concord d'Elegance poster uh, for them in 2008. And it was um, an honor bestowed on me that I, I hadn't expected coming and, uh, and I was just knocked out by the chance that, that I got to do that. So... Um, I spoke with uh, the people at Pebble Beach, and, and they let me know um, what car they had selected, and uh, they put me in touch with the car owner's people. And uh, what it was was uh, they wanted to feature uh, an Olds F88 show car. And um, it's, it's a lot like the early Corvettes. It was built from, from some of the same parts and stuff. And I, uh, I made arrangements to, to, to get my reference uh, materials uh, from them. They suggested I go out and look at the car, which was uh, in a museum in, in uh, Gateway, Colorado. So I, I flew out there and uh, uh, drove down to the museum, and, and they put me up for a few days, and I, I had a lot of chances to look at the car and take photos. But um, the, the car was uh, housed in the museum, and, and when I asked if I could... Uh, get it outdoors uh they they told me no that wasn't going to happen it was uh it was up on a pedestal and uh you know it would have been too much effort whatever it they they didn't allow me to look at it outdoors so i I took all my photos with indoor lighting and stuff and it's a gold car and and gold uh can change colors um dramatically depending on what it it's lit by so uh i i had what i had i went back and uh uh, worked with the Concord people with some composition uh, proposals. They liked what I did. I uh, I put the painting together and completed it. They they liked that a lot. Uh, everybody seemed to be be happy. And um, you know when it was time for the the event, I was out there and uh, signed posters. They they sold out all of them by by about one in the afternoon. And I thought this is great. I'm just a, an all star here. <laughs> So that's the first part of it. It, it would seem like uh, where's where's the challenge on this? The the challenge showed up a little bit later. In fact, it was two years later when I got a call from Ken Eberts, who's the president of the AFAS. He in turn received a call from Pebble Beach, uh, saying they had heard from the car owner who was unhappy with the color the car was depicted in in the painting. So, uh, <laughs> I'm going, well, I'm, I'm happy to talk to somebody about that. Let's, let's see where we are. So, I never did get put in touch with the, uh, the car owners. It, it went through a couple of layers of, uh, of people, and they said, well, you know, they're, they're quite adamant that the painting has to be changed. And I said, well, you know. A little late uh, for that. Well, it, it was. 
but I mean the the pressure was mounting, and without getting into a lot of it, it was agreed I would do my best crack at repairing the painting. So they they agreed to ship it to me. It showed up in my house in this 250 pound crate, and I unboxed that and I got it. So there's there's the painting. Uh, I said. You know, gold is is tricky. What what are they looking for? What do they think is is wrong? And uh, they had a hard time articulating. But but what they were able to do was they they had another one of your interviewers interviewees do a, a book for them. Michael Furman, who's oh. a superb photographer, mm-hmm. uh, put together this book of uh, and it's John Hendricks and his car collection. He did a book, and that's where they got references to send me directly from the book. For color matching, mm. and uh, Michael shot the car in uh, studio light, which is one one color gold. Uh, I shot it in uh, indoor light in their uh, their museum, which is another. And when I saw the car on the show field outdoors, it was a, a third different color gold. Of course. So um, I, I had to create. Color swatches and in gold, it, it can look almost white on the upper surface if it's got a bright light on it, and it can get to be like a dark bronze on the underside where you've got shadow. So I had to show these uh, color swatches with with color flop and stuff, and um, it, it was a lot of a lot of work to put forth and submit those. I'd send them to Pebble Beach; they would in turn send them off to the the clients, and uh, eventually they selected. Um, a color schematic that I had come up with for the car. They said, this is it. And, and basically, I was, I was matching it to the studio photography of Michael Furman, which, which was fine. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's how I had to do that. So I commenced to repaint the car, which meant I had to, to redo an enormous amount of the painting. <laughs> it oh, took of course. A long, it took a long time. Uh, and I had people coming over to um, give me color assessments as I went, because um, one more little quirk to the story is uh, I'm somewhat colorblind. Mm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to, to make things a little more interesting. So, you know, and, and gold, it, it can be a red gold, it can be a green gold. And, uh, right. I got the painting completed, and I sent it back, and um, evidently it, it satisfied everybody. But, you know, that part, it's just, I, I hadn't expected that, but this is... The nature of the beast sometimes when you deal in the rarefied air of uh, important clients, you know, oh. Pebble Beach being one, uh, Mr. Hendricks being one, and stuff like that. And, and somebody like me cannot afford to leave somebody unsatisfied by my work. What a story. That sounds similar to a story that uh, I believe uh, Harold Cleworth told me on an interview about doing a painting for Pebble Beach. And when they got it, they said, could you just move the car a little different angle? After the yeah. painting's done. Yeah, okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie, let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. Could you share a story with us when you had a real aha moment in your career as an artist, a time when you realized, you know what, I think I can actually make a living at this and do this, and tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success? I think it was in 1992, and I had started doing several shows a year, and I was I was doing one where I had my artwork hung up out at the Edsel, Florida State for uh, an event here in Michigan that they call Eyes on Design. They used to invite the art exhibitors, all had a, a past background of uh, 
being either past or, or, or current designers with one of the auto companies, and I, I think they've they've changed that over the years. I was there by by merit of my my Ford time and stuff, and 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 had paintings of uh, automobiles hung up, and I had a gentleman stop by and and introduce himself to me, and and he was Leon Mandel, who was the uh, Auto Week publisher at the time. Oh yeah, and I I knew who he was. And I, uh, I was, I was extremely flattered that that he came by and uh, took the time to talk to me. So he, and and he couldn't have been nicer and more complimentary. He told me uh, how much he enjoyed my work, and and he asked, would I be interested in working uh, on a project with them? And I said, of course, I'd I'd be thrilled. And he said, here's here's what the deal is. Uh, at the time, Auto Week was. Uh, I don't know if they were sponsoring or authoring a race, but it was it was vintage racing. Uh, they they had their uh, their name up on the, the the banner for it, and it was uh, they had two categories. One was sports cars, and, and one was more high performance cars like Formula One cars, Can Am, uh, some serious uh, racing cars. And what they wanted me to do was do two paintings uh, that they would use as award for the winners of, of, of the two categories in this uh, vintage uh, racing series that they had. The drawback was they weren't going to be sure who the winner was until the end of the season. Mm. And, and that race was going to be at Lime Rock. Uh, the, the race the previous weekend was going to be at Watkins Glen. And they said, we, we want the, the paintings. Uh, we, we need those in time to, to present at the banquet for the, the winners. But the real time constraint was they wanted to feature the paintings on the cover of the magazine and also for um, an insert story. Hmm. I wasn't going to let that opportunity slip by. So I, I went out to Watkins Glen and I met Kevin Wilson, who was one of the editors, and he was the, the gentleman I was dealing with for, for that project. And after the Watkins Glen weekend, um, he said he thought they would have the two winners. And uh, that, that was going to happen on Sunday. Their deadline was Wednesday. So I had managed to create two paintings, similar backgrounds. I had the backgrounds all done that showed a little bit of scenery indigenous to Lime Rock. That was all on the drawing board waiting for me to, to get back with references for whoever the winners were. After the, the last race Sunday, uh, Kevin told me, here's, here's who it is, uh, one one was um, a simonized Lola Can-Am, uh, a T90, I think it was, and the other uh, category was a Huffaker Special. And um, I had photographs of both of those, and I got in my car and drove home eight hours and got home at about two in the morning and got up Monday morning and uh, finished each of the two paintings in time to deliver them to Auto Week <laughs> Wednesday. So that was, that was an aha moment. Number one, that, that somebody from a major publication like that thought enough of my stuff to ask me to do this. And then also, it, it helped gear me up for dealing with, uh, with publications with deadlines. Oh. And I'm, I'm fortunate I can, I can draw and paint pretty quickly. But that was uh, that was taken it to the extreme. <laughs> it sounds like it. And it reminds me of the story that another guest I had here at Cars, yeah, Dennis Hoyt, had a similar experience with Road and Track, where they saw his sculptures and went, "Oh my gosh, we need to do a story about you." And that was his aha moment. So, you both uh, two artists that share similar stories with publications that really helped launch the careers. That's wonderful. 
Let's have a little fun here. What was your first really special car? And if you could share a memory you had with that vehicle with me. Yeah, I will. Uh, Before I tell you what the first special one was, let me mention that I had a 53 four-door Studebaker in college. It was old when I got it. I had the doors closed lined shut so they wouldn't fly open in the winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also a 63 Beetle that I mentioned uh, driving up north from Florida with all my worldly possessions. Sure. But after I got to Ford, everybody had something cool, and um, the Volkswagen wasn't going to take me too far, I didn't think. So I had wanted a Corvette. I managed to save, save my pennies for, for a little bit, and I bought a 1965 small block. Cool. And it was it was cool. It was a pretty car. Um, I liked it. I loved it. I loved the car. And so for the first time in my life, I had something that had a little bit of gusto to it, although this one was, uh, it was the 300-horse version, so it, it wasn't anything special. And uh, I'm living in Detroit, so there's Woodward Avenue. So I'm, I start heading out to Woodward Avenue on uh, Friday night to, uh, to show off. And one of the first races I got into was this guy pulled up next to me in a 57 Chevy. He had his wife, I assume, and two kids in the back seat, and he blew my doors off. And when I finally caught up to him at the next traffic light, he was laughing hysterically. Oh, gosh. So I slunk home from that. I still liked the car, but I didn't keep it that long. I uh, I managed to upgrade a couple of times. So. But that, <laughs> That first Corvette, uh, and I've had three of them, the first one was, uh, you know, that was special to me. I, I, I did like the car a whole bunch. Yeah. <laughs> but oh. it wasn't quite fast enough for uh, for what I what I needed. Sure, <laughs> sure. That's a funny story. That's great. How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle that you've sold in your past that you really wish you could have back? Yeah, the next uh, the next couple of cars after I got after the 65, I, I had a 67 Shelby GT500. Ooh. And that was that was very cool. I did not appreciate the car that much at the time. It had the 428 engine, and it just had the the factory cast iron exhaust head uh, exhaust heads on it. Mm-hmm. So it it never breathed well enough. It had two four barrel hollies up up on the top end, but it you know it you always kept expecting it to wind up a little bit more. But the thing was a wonderful road car. I can remember uh, making trips across the state in that, you know, running it for a half hour or more at 90-plus miles an hour, and it was just solid as a rock. <laughs> That's great. So Is that it... was one. And then I, I do have a second one that I, yeah. I I picked up another Corvette, and it was a 66. And and this was my, my favorite, uh, the, the one that I had the most remorse for. And uh, I spent one whole summer in the backyard blocking out uh by blocking out i mean sanding down the body to get the ripples all out Mm -hmm. and i painted it black myself it was a 365 horse fuel injection heads a 411 rear gear and that that thing was fast (laughs) and i took it out to the drag strip and have some um you know 12 second timing tickets somewhere in the house on that one there you go i really wish i could have hung on to that one yeah well you redeemed yourself that's good and and probably best you're doing at the drag strip not down woodward avenue (laughs) with people with their little kids in the back seat i i managed (laughs) to do both still yeah well uh, we won't talk about that okay (laughs) is there a current project that you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up i've got one that i've been uh, working on for a while but um after I got familiar with with Watkins Glen, I started uh, looking into the history on that. And they ran the 
the United States Grand Prix there for 20 years, so 20 years of Formula One races. So I'm I'm doing a composite piece of uh, each one of the, the the winners over a 20 year period, and uh, and that starts out with Ennis Ireland and a. Oh, I don't even remember what he was driving right now, but uh, over 20 years, boy, there's been a significant change in uh, technology and stuff for the the race cars. So I, I've got that, and uh, I'm also working on a piece with uh, old Packards for a gentleman uh, who I encountered. Uh, I got to meet him a little less than a year ago, and and he's commissioned me to do a number of illustrations for a book. It would be the the last days of Packard. So cars that got designed by Packard but never built. Oh, fantastic. Well, those sound like some great projects. Now, here's an interesting question for you, Charlie. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? Yeah, this, <laughs> this is a hard one. I don't <clears throat> But I, I, I did pick one, and uh, a number of years ago, uh, a friend of mine had a 246 Ferrari Dino. Hmm. And you let me drive it, and I, I liked the car so much. I mean, it it was more than fast enough for me. It was one of those cars I could drive, you know, maybe eight or nine-tenths, you know, without getting in over my head. It was precise. It was progressive. It was predictable, and, and I think the car is just flat-out beautiful. So, uh, you know, I like that. It's um, it's it's extremely special without being over the top. Oh, they're, uh, they're beautiful cars. When I was a kid, I had my own detailing business when I was in high school and college, and I had a client who had one of those cars, and I'd ride my bike down to South Mission Beach, San Diego, and he'd let me drive it back to my house, and I always took the long way home because that car was just so much fun to drive and so beautiful to wax. Just running your hands over it was was magical. So, Charlie, we're up to the last lap here, and this is where I fire off some questions, and you give our listeners some real quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you buckled up and ready to go? I am buckled up. I am ready. All right. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? Shiny side up, rubber side down. (laughs) Absolutely. Can you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? Well, I always wear my seatbelt, and uh, referring to the last uh, bit of advice and stuff, I've I've never uh, gotten a car upside down, but I have uh, noticed over the years that professionals wear seatbelts. They they take professional measures uh, and stuff, and I think it would behoove me to be careful in a car as well. Oh, gosh, yes, absolutely. Put your seatbelt on, for goodness sake. Charlie, would you share a book with us that you recently read that you really enjoyed? Uh, this wasn't a recent read, but I, I do like it. Two by Brock Yates, uh, Sunday Driver or The Cannonball. Mm. <laughs> great, great book. I, yeah. I like those a lot. They uh, they just made me laugh. Oh, yeah, super. Well, I'll remind our listeners that you can find all these resources at com slash Charlie Mayer, M-A-H-E-R is how you spell his last name. And do you have any interesting hobbies outside of your passion for cars? I've got one that I've been doing for a number of years. I build solid-body electric guitars, and that started with my son uh, who pestered me in high school to build them on. Oh, wow. he couldn't afford a Les Paul. Very so cool. I've learned how to do that. I, I won't call myself a luthier because uh, those guys are extremely good. But I've, I've made uh, eight or nine instruments now. They, they play well. I... Um, I've, I've sold a couple of them. Uh, most of them go to my kid. I've got one uh, that I made for myself, and I, I can't play a lick, but I, I am friends with uh, 
the guitar player who was in Bob Seger's Silver Bullet Band, and, oh, and cool. he's played it and pronounced it quite quite good. So, oh, that's really great. I play the guitar, and yeah, I'd love to play one of your guitars. That sounds well. That sounds you great. Come on over here, and I'll uh, plug this one in and let you rock. There we go. All right, Charlie, we're up to the checkered flag, and this last question can be a real doozy for some people. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, and it's something you can't sell to buy a bunch of other cars with, and money's no object, I'll buy you whatever you want today, what would that vehicle be and why? Yeah, you know, since the money is no object, uh, that's that's kind of like uh, Wonderland for me. So I'm, I'm a little more practical, and, and I've given this some thought, and... I think what I'd really like to have in the garage would be a 65 Shelby GT350R. It's good-looking. It's, it's, Amer- it's American horsepower. Um, the things are rock-solid on, on the highway. Um, they're, they're loud. They're fast. They're good-looking. Great car. So I, I could live with that. I think so. Great car, great choice. Charlie, you've taken us on a great ride today, and I have really enjoyed your stories. And I want to thank you for being with us and sharing your journey with our listeners. Would you give them one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Mustang? You know, one one thing of guidance, and this this is kind of general, but and it's self-serving for me, I suppose. But consider art. Art is enduring, and it doesn't make any difference what it is. If you find something that you really like, if you enjoy it, if you love it, it just brings richness to your life to to have something like that. So I would encourage people to to give a second thought to that. And it doesn't have to be expensive, but I think art makes life richer. Uh, It absolutely does. And my wife is gracious enough to let me decorate our home with uh, automotive art. So there's uh, art all over my house of images of cars from all different kinds of artists and things. And it does. It uh, just brings a smile to my face every time I, I walk by one of those pieces. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you, Charlie? You can Google me, and I seem to show up on enough places, including my website, which is a, a long link, so I won't dictate that out. But, uh, yeah, just Google Charles Maher. I'm going to be in Amelia Island uh, this next March. I hope to be at Pebble Beach the following August and a number of other shows in between. Well, I'll remind our listeners that you can find links to all of the things that Charlie shared with us today, including his website at carsyeah.com slash Charlie. Thank you, Charlie, for being so generous with your time today and your expertise and for sharing your stories with me and the listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you very much, Mark. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. I'm honored to do so. Thanks again. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.